Welcome to Fintech Daydreaming. The podcast that dives into the world of banking technologies and the ever-changing landscape of fintech companies. We bring you real-life examples from global and local thought leaders, as well as experts working within the financial industry, and seek out the best stories from the front lines of financial services innovation, where dreams of industry pioneers meet reality. Hosted by Paul Krogdahl and Ville Sontu. This is Fintech Daydreaming. Hello, and welcome back to Fintech Daydreaming. We have another great episode in front of us today, and we actually are talk- gonna, going to be talking about a topic that I've been personally expecting to be uh, have, having as a topic on the podcast for a very long time, and that is buy now, pay later, or as some people say, buy now, panic later. Now, Paul, I think we discussed this before. Uh, you like this topic, topic a lot as well, right? I've, um, I think I've been profusively posting about my views on buy now, pay later on LinkedIn and other social channels. So absolutely, yes, I've got, um, you know, like my other uh, pet project around uh, financial inclusion and financial literacy, uh, this this fits right in there with, you know, consumer protection and regulatory control, etc. So absolutely, yes, this, this is going to be one of the most exciting episodes for me uh, recently. Yes. Exactly. I, I, I completely agree with you. And as always, my name is Ville Sointu. I will be your host for today's episode. And my co-host will be Paul Krugdahl, as you very well know. But uh, we are not here uh, just by the two of us. Uh, we have a fantastic guest with us today. So welcome, uh, David Horton. Uh, how are you, David? Yes, very well. Thanks, Will and, uh, and Paul, for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, David, you you work for Think Digital. So, what do you do? How did how did you end up in uh, in this space? So, Think Digital is a uh, it's a firm that I I founded and I started up around three and a half years ago. Um, really doing something I, I had always wanted to do for for many many years. Um, and ultimately, the way I kind of describe ourselves to um, to, to clients or or anyone who's is interested that for that matter is. We kind of do the digital transformation and consulting for the banking space or the fintech um, area. Um, so everything you would kind of imagine a digital consulting company to do, but the difference being is we focus purely on financial services, which is you know banking, capital markets, and a little bit of insurance as well. So everything from um, imagining new products to helping banks um, you know, realign their existing ways of doing things, their processes, their technology. Um, and you know, every, everything that I guess the FinTech world talks about on a daily basis is where we kind of, uh, we step in and, and help out. Um, and obviously whenever there is a new topic or an emerging technology or, or something that, get, that gets everybody talking, um, that tends to be our sweet spot. So we tend to focus on those kind of areas, um, which is obviously, you know, buy now, pay later is, is something that, well, it's been around for a while, but over the last six months, it's really gotten a lot more um, press releases and um, activity. Um, and coming off the back of a research report that we did for a number of clients recently, where we were asked to basically evaluate what is BNPL and what does the experience look like and, and, and how does it matter to banks and what should they be doing about it? 
So yeah. Yeah, sounds like uh, you definitely landed in the right podcast because this is yeah. exactly what we're going to be talking about today. But before we dive right into all of that fun stuff, uh, we we do have a tradition on this podcast, David, and that is that uh, we ask our, ask our guests to tell a fintech related joke. So, uh, do you have a joke for us, David? I ha- I have a joke. Um, it's not an original joke. It's something I I I think Dilbert uh, may have influenced me somewhat in in it. Um, and I'm not uh, I'm not saying it's funny, but I'll I'll give you my best. Um, so the uh, the head of a very big bank. Uh, it gets his executive team into a room and um, he comes out with a comment and he says, you know, I think we need to launch a blockchain. And uh, obviously his team uh, all look at each other. They look at him, have a slightly confused look on their face and they go, we, we absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, what color blockchain would you like to launch? And uh, he obviously gets put on the spot and he says, um, I think it should be a green blockchain because that has the most uh, RAM, and uh, <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> uh, David, I think I've been to that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent, David. Uh, we love when our uh, when our guests actually provide the jokes. Uh, we also have a stash <laughs> of uh, really bad jokes, uh, and in especially in the past episodes, we've done a lot of them. So. Really happy to have these uh, fresh ideas uh, in this category as well. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, excellent. Now, let's get right to it. So, uh, David, like you said, you have uh, your company has pro- uh, made a report on buy now, uh, buy now, pay later. Uh, yeah. and, uh, done a little research in this space. So, why don't you kind of set the scene a little bit here? So, what actually is buy now, pay later? Uh, what's different uh, this time compared to any other kind of payment options or financing options that have been available for a long time in the market? Yeah, it's a a great question. Um, You know, I I think there's a a number of factors that make um, the whole topic of buy now, pay later um, very different from what we've discussed in the past. Um, Albeit you've had the likes of Klarna and Affirm who have been around for many, many years, but really it's only since COVID um, sort of created a more far-reaching impact that I think it's gotten a lot more publicity and the adoption rates have been a lot higher. Um, and, and the way I like to think about why it's it's a little different this time, it's because it's really being driven by the non-banking um, experience. And what do I mean by that? If you look at you know what everybody's talking about in terms of embedded finance, um, buy now, pay later seems to be you know at the pinnacle of, of what that means, which is the journey doesn't really start from a banking or a finance perspective. It really starts from a consumer wanting to buy something. Um, and that's very, very different from, you know, some of the, uh, the sort of buy now, pay later concepts that have been around in banking for many years. Um, I worked for a bank, um, you know, back in uh, 2014, who had their own version of a, a buy now, pay later sort of product. And it really was, uh, something that was hugely successful for the bank and still remains a, a success. Um, it was the typical thing where you would have a credit card, you'd make a purchase, and it may be a bigger, bigger than normal purchase. Um, and then what the bank would do is they would they would offer you an easy payment plan on that one transaction. So rather than have it, um, you know, add to your credit card balance, the bank would say, "Pay us a small fee, and you can have that transaction on a." 
you know, four monthly sort of payment cycle. And so I think when most bankers think of buy now, pay later, that's the first thing that resonates with them because that's the, the familiarity that they have. I think what's different now is, um, you know, the adoption of e-commerce, the amount of things that we're doing from home, like working, we are also doing shopping now. Um, it, it means that finance is kind of becoming invisible and it's, a, it's much more of a background um, enabler to, to the overall experience. So if you look at the likes of Amazon and Shopify, um, where they are capturing huge amounts of market share because they're able to offer you know, a variety of different products, what makes it that much easier is even from the sort of comfort of your own laptop or home, you're now able to uh, buy something and have it on an installment plan. Um, and, and the beauty of it, obviously, is that it's sold um, very, very well. It's sold on the basis of there's zero fees, zero interest, as long as you make your payments. Um, but I think people are starting to ask the questions and even some of the regulators are starting to raise their eyebrow at, well, what are the possible risks associated with that? So, yeah, I think um, what's different is really it's the entry point. Uh, the entry point is really not from the banking side. It's from the consumer side and it's from the shopping side. So when you're looking to buy something, whether it's, um, you, know, a, you know, an item or whether you're buying a holiday, um, that's where the journey starts. And, um, and the financing side of things is really um, it's just an enabler. It, it, it's something that is being offered by those firms in order to encourage you to do those transactions. I think there's another thing, thing which is a, a fundamental difference as well, is the fact that buy now, pay later is a fairly unregulated sector. And on top of that, the, the organizations that are offering these uh, capabilities are doing it through a, a soft credit check rather than a hard credit check, which means that they have no okay. visibility of what sort of credit risk that person actually really is, what outstanding debts they've got. So that they're, they're actually in very many cases, as we've seen, offering credit capabilities to people that really are going to struggle to repay them, which brings us back to this whole domain of uh, you know, consumer protection, et cetera. Yeah, 100% agree with you, Paul. And to be honest, uh, when we did our report, um, and we present we have presented it to a number of our our banking clients who are interested in doing something it's the number one question that comes up uh, as soon as we present this um there's really two two distinct themes that come up when we uh, when we have these discussions the first is what is the credit risk model that that they they want to use right because for banks, this is something alien. It's something new. It's not quite. It's not a loan. It's not a microfinance loan, and it's certainly not a credit card. It's kind of sitting somewhere in in between, um, and a lot of the views are, um, it's not the same as a credit card risk uh, because that's obviously ongoing, monthly, and long term. This is finite. It's over a short period of time, and the amounts, debatably, are smaller. Um, the second thing is. There, for some of our clients, particularly in the Middle East, there the central banks and the regulators there, they have very stringent rules. And you know, one of the rules that they will say is any type of financing, whether you want to call it a loan, a microfinance loan, or anything else, requires a full uh, KYC compliance check on the 
on on the uh, the customer's credit or their their um, the credit bureau. Um, what that does is it automatically destroys the customer experience because now from being something that is relatively simple and you just tick a box and say, you know, here's my basic details. And a couple of seconds later, you're approved. Now they are not able to do that. And so the whole appeal of the simplicity is kind of falling away. Um, what that results in, however, is now banks are toying with translating what BNPL means, right? Is it a risk? Is it a, is it a loan? Because a lot of them are arguing, well, actually, I'm not lending any money. I'm just providing a payment plan. And, um, and I think until somebody uh, sits up and says, look, this is what you have to classify it as, there's still going to be that whole gray area and ambiguity over, you know, what applies. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, the obvious first question that sometimes you hear when talking about buy now, pay later is that isn't this exactly the same as credit card, but now it really isn't now because this is always related to a, a certain purchase, right? Yeah. So it, it's uh, it's either a basket of things or or an item, and then this installment plan is, is linked to that, that item. Now, this leads me to think, I mean, are there providers out there for BNPL that actually use some kind of smart... Uh, artificial intelligence algorithms uh, behind the scenes to, to perhaps lower the risk uh, of default on these uh, on this installment plans. Do you know something like that happening? Um, I, I don't, I, I'd be lying if I told you that I knew the, the, the ins and outs and the details of it. What I would tell you is um, if you look at, and, and I don't know how familiar you are with Klarna for instance, but a lot of what they market themselves as is, um, the buy now, pay later um, model is great for the consumer, but it's even better for the merchant, right? And a lot of their success is orchestrated and focused around their merchant portal, which basically provides you with a huge amount of data analytics, right? So the type of things that a small, you know, mom and pop shop company probably would never even dream of having access to. And I think what what you're starting to see is as they become more and more successful and the volume of transactions is increasing, so is their risk intelligence associated with the types of customers that they've got, right? Um, you're starting to see better clarity on demographics, uh, on the types of goods that are being bought via buy now, pay later. So um, I, would, I would absolutely uh, bet my shirt that for the big players, they have much more sophisticated risk management in place than what we, we tend to see. Now, the proof is going to be in the pudding, right? Uh, you need to wait until there are more defaults and you start to see uh, an impact before you, you genuinely see uh, how good that risk model is going to be. But um, given that most banks nowadays are still using algorithms that are 25 years old, uh, I'm pretty pretty sure that they're going to be competitive. Yeah, I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit, Villa. Um, if you look across the world, as David was saying, there is a blurring of the definition of buy now, pay later, and particularly in uh, in India and uh, and the Far East, we're seeing. Uh, organizations rebranding existing credit capabilities as buy now, pay later, where they're basically saying that we'll give you the capabilities, but on a pre-agreed credit facility, um, you know, either that is to align with regulatory controls in those countries, or it's, it's a way for existing players to 
jump onto the branding uh, of buy now, pay later to deliver within sort of the capabilities they've already got. But there is a huge blurring of what we actually mean. Yeah. Like you said, David. Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the actual interesting part here is the, is the kind of the simplicity of getting that, getting that kind of installment plan in place it's it's stunningly simple compared to yeah. running a credit card application everybody's kind of done those in a, in some point of their lives uh, there's a lot of information that is collected for for better or worse uh, and then it takes some time to actually be approved uh, at least it's, it, uh, maybe take half an hour an hour uh, if you're lucky and sometimes it takes days whereas now this happens happens so quickly um, and this kind of to kind of continue on the uh, on the business case uh, or the business model here a little bit. I mean, let's let's assume that there is a kind of a well well tuned algorithms and risk management uh, behind. But uh, ultimately, of course, we're we're still yet to see whether how much actually people are defaulting on this uh, uh, or, uh, or landing in financial trouble, not being able to pay back their uh, uh, installment plans. Do we have data on that? I mean, do, do we see how much bad credit these uh, BMPL uh, providers are, are uh, having these days? From what I understand, no, there's, there's, not a, there's not a huge amount out there. You, current, you, you kind of get a few glimpses every now and again when um, it's being covered in the press. Um, I, I, I often use um, some of the, the review sites as a benchmark for that sort of thing because Typically, the people who have defaulted and then got burnt tend to want to go on and complain about it. So, you know, you can go to a couple of those websites and look at them. Um, what I would say is there aren't a lot. There aren't a lot from what I can see at the moment, right? Um, and, and, you know, you can speculate as to what the reasons are for that. Uh, maybe it just hasn't happened or, or maybe um, it's, it's uh, something that's going to happen. Um, but it's it's difficult to, to actually tell. But I I absolutely agree with uh, what, with what Paul uh, Paul said as well. A lot of other countries uh, around the world are starting now to rebrand a a different type of product um, into a sort of buy now pay later model. Um, and I definitely see there being a space for doing that as well. Particularly, for instance, in the business banking world, you know, for small and medium enterprise businesses. Um, you're starting to see these new credit card companies in the US who are having phenomenal success, um, you know, the likes of uh, Ramp. Um, and if you actually look at their, their construct, it is much more focused on sort of a personal finance management uh, theme. So you have a credit card for your small business and you can see how you're spending, but it actually allows even more than that. There's a, there's a granularity that's allowed, which says, you know, we can issue credit cards to 50 people in our organization um, and we're going to control how they spend or, or what they spend that money on. Um, now, you take that one step further and, and offer them sort of financing options on a buy now, pay later theme within the business world. And all of a sudden, you're, you're starting to encroach on the trade finance space and the working capital. And, um, and so I, I definitely think it's an area which is going to drive huge amounts of innovation over the next couple of years. Um, it's just slowly coming to light now. Um, what, I, what I still remain to be convinced about is some of these statements I've seen about a, a couple of digital banks who are claiming to launch a buy now, pay later type product, right? Um, 
it, it doesn't come natural to, 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 to banks, right? They think in terms of, you know, uh, liabilities and accounts and credit cards and loans, they don't think the customer experience, which is I'm going to get you at the shopping line. Um, and so it still remains to be seen a little bit about whether they're going to have that success. Um, you know, the super app is another theme that you keep hearing about, which is it is banking, but it's disguised as everything else that's not banking. And, and that will that that will be a better way, I would say, to try to get more adoption into a buy now, pay later model. But nobody is standing out at the moment and showing that they have truly nailed that one just yet. Yeah, I really like the uh, the concept of enterprise BNPL, which actually starts to look a lot like trade finance, because that's, that's exactly what it is. I mean, the uh, being able to, uh, well, first of all, uh, ship the goods and get paid immediately before, uh, even before it uh, uh, reaches the destination. I think these kind of old dilemmas on, on trade finance uh, have been there for a long time. And now applying these maybe simplified models from BNPL yeah. would be a really interesting area. But yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, as a sorry, a, a, a small example of this because this is something that we we at Think Digital suffer from all the time when we're dealing with some of our banking clients. We will do a project for them, and it'll be a, some small prototype or an innovation, something like that. But it requires them to buy a small piece of hardware. So, for instance, it might be an Oculus Quest VR headset, right? Now, typically. For a bank to, to purchase one of those things will take six weeks because it needs to go through procurement. And, um, and nowadays you're starting to see these credit cards issued to people whereby they can just go onto to, you know, Amazon or wherever it is that they are, buy it and get it delivered a day later. And, and, and all of a sudden they've saved six weeks on the project, right? Um, that is where I think that that whole area of credit cards for small and large businesses is really untapped and is, is definitely something that will grow. Sorry, a bit off topic. No, no, but do we, do we have any feeling from, from the research you've done, any feeling as to what's the scale of this opportunity for, for the banks and the fintechs going forward? So, I mean, I'm assuming we're talking billions of, uh, of revenue here, right, going forwards for the next couple of years. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, well, you only need to look at uh, at the big BNPL numbers uh, in the last year and look at their growth and their valuations, obviously. But um, I, there, there's no definitive answer as to the size of the market. I would say when most when I when I speak to most of our clients who are banks and interested in that topic, um, I always hear the magic thirty percent thirty percent of credit cards. So. Uh, you, you, you do the numbers and you take what 30% of credit cards is. And uh, I think we're now in the trillions, not in the billions. Yeah. Well, that's actually uh, interesting. Yeah. I've, see, I've seen a number of reports that are, you know, th there was there was an idea or a thought that buy now, pay later would start robbing business from the credit card uh, and credit card providers. But the, the actual metrics that are coming through are, are not showing that. They're actually showing that most people are using this as an additional line of, of credit or line of, uh, you know, extra money. Yeah, yeah I, I, absolutely. I think a lot of people who have credit cards are, are also doing uh, BNPL. I think that's also got a lot to do with uh, the, the customer journey, as in 
They're in a shop, they're buying something, they see an option that seems more attractive than sticking it on their credit card. Um, and, and they're, they're maybe trying it out for the first time and seeing how well that, that goes. Um, I also think there's a, there's a very negative stigma in everyone's mind about credit cards, which is it's not a good thing, it's, it's accumulating debt. Whereas maybe they haven't got that um, perception from BNPL. Um, I think what will, what will definitely happen as regulations become a little bit more stringent is they will need to be factored in alongside what is your credit card limit and what is the limit that, that you're willing to be given. And then maybe there's, there'll be a bit of a normalization uh, around that. But yeah, I think um, for a lot of people trying it for the first time as well, um, they may have a credit card. Now, there's no one saying what that, that will amount to. It may end up being that they opt to do that and then sacrifice their credit card or they simply keep the credit card as a backup for something they may need at a later stage. But it's early days. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the regulator that's going to ultimately decide, um, you know, what category BNPL will fall into. Yeah, and this actually leads into an interesting discussion about the, uh, the overall business model here. Now, uh, dear listeners, I did I did the thing. So I actually, I took a BNPL uh, loan uh, or an installment plan just for you. So doing the, doing the research a little bit. And I, I can say that the, the reason I actually did that is because there is a 0% interest over, let's say, 10-month payment, payment period for something you buy. Now, that is attractive. I mean, it's basically uh, free uh, credit for you as long as you kind of hold on to the payments. But this begs the question, who is actually making money and how with this 0% interest rate uh, installment plans? Um, it's a good question. I, I think um, the proof will be in if you missed your payment, <laughs> then you'll see the first person or the first organization that's going to make money is, the, is obviously the organization that gave you that. Now, um, if you're you know responsible, you make those payments on time and everything, I think you will start to see that some of the other value-added services that um, the BNPL providers are providing the merchant will also result in a fee that they're going to charge to the merchant. Um, now, whether that's access to their back-end data analytics portal or whether it's, um, it's on an incentive basis, as in, you know, we've impacted your sales, your sales are going up as a result of this, you're selling 30% more of, of something than you used to, there will need to be um, you know, a, a revenue model that makes sense to everybody in order to, to do that. Um, I think it's always difficult when you're in a, a hot market where everyone is trying to justify high valuations and is trying to have a higher volume of transactions and essentially trying to eat as much market share as possible. You kind of sacrifice a little of your revenue and your margins in order to do that. But, but that's only, you know, it's only sustainable for a, a certain amount of time. Um, but I, I think uh, a lot of the BNPL uh, startups that, that have come up will absolutely fail. I think they will go bust. And what you will probably see is the fittest ones or the ones that have the highest volumes are probably the ones that will, will succeed and, and sort of end up providing those. Um, there's also obviously the distinct possibility that one of the other big fintech non-banks will acquire them 
and um, and all of a sudden, you know, it'll be part of the portfolio. Um, that you know, it'd be foolish not to see an Amazon or a Shopify or um, even a, a, a PayPal or Square kind of having their eyes on that space. I know Square announced something recently, um, so it's all, it's obviously part of the the payment um, process. I think. The, the big mistake to be made is to, to, to take your eye off the ball from the consumer journey. And that's where obviously Amazon and Shopify are at their strongest. So yeah, I, wouldn't, I would be very surprised if we didn't see a lot of consolidation in that whole space. Yeah. I have to say, Villa, I mean, did you actually look at the fine print, the small text associated with taking that buy now, pay later? Because most, most of the revenue that these companies are making is on failed payments, right? And the charges and interest that you get hit with very fast if you fail to stick to that repayment schedule. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, that is what they're relying on, right? Is, is the more people who default, the, the more profit they can make. Yeah, and that's, I mean, then the incentives are in completely wrong place when you think about the ethics uh, of it all, uh, mm -hmm. I think. But uh, that's uh, that's another discussion that we can we can have. But I want to kind of close the the business model uh, and fee discussion here a little bit because, as we know, when when we use credit cards, debit cards, uh, payment cards in general uh, at stores, and then uh, we process the transaction, it is the merchant that pays the transaction fee, uh, and that's why you sometimes see them not accepting credit card payments under a certain limit or something like that, just in order to avoid the fees. And indeed, when you talk to merchants, uh, this kind of card transaction fees seems to be always uh, on top of their agenda on things that they would actually like to get rid yeah. of. Uh, now, does BNPL change that? I mean, how do, you, do we know anything about the fees that the merchants are paying uh, for BNPL? Uh, unfortunately, from my side, I don't have that level of insight. Um, however, I, I mean, given that if you look at most fees that merchants pay for being able to, they, 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 they tend to vary between what, 2, 2.85% in, in that sort of that, that area. Um, I think given that the risk appetite is probably a little lower in BNPL, they've probably negotiated a smaller type of fee. Probably, if I had to guess, it would be in the one to one and a half percent space. Um, now, that's very easy to justify if you're generating an extra 30% increment in your sales, right? In fact, you could probably have various tiers which say, when we generate X amount of sales, by the way, our fees are going up. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's still an evolving model, I would say. There, there may come a day when even the, uh, the, the, the fees that they're making on late payments might be a revenue share model with the merchant, right? Um, and, and you kind of spread the risk a little bit there and then everybody has skin in the game. But, um, you, you know, I think what you're starting to see from a, a model perspective is it's not a huge amount of difference between what we saw with uh, payday loans maybe four or five years ago, right? Which is I need a couple of hundred bucks at the end of the month to make a payment because I've run short. Um, you know, those companies, they came under a huge amount of scrutiny. And, and in the UK, I don't know if you recall, Wonga, you know, was, was huge. Um, and somebody, you know, asked the question, have you ever worked out what that interest rate is? Because it works out at about 1,000% APR. Um, and then the difference was they still had a huge amount of very happy customers. Their NPS score was, you know, off the charts because 
their argument was, yes, we charge a lot of interest over a very short period of time, but that's because we provide a service which is almost instant gratification. And um, it'll be interesting to see if BNPL players want to make the same argument because unfortunately we know how it all ended for the likes of Wonga. And um, that, that's the one thing that would worry me a little bit if I was in uh, the big BNPL space, which is one knee-jerk reaction from a uh, regulator or a central bank, and all of a sudden you, you'll go from having very active sales to none whatsoever. Um, and and that's, that's the big concern, I guess. Yeah, I think we are going to see regulation. I, I distinctly remember from 15, 20 years ago when there was this innovation around kind of quick loans uh, by just sending an SMS to a number. Yeah. And they, they sent you a few hundred euros quickly and then the interest rates were kind of sky high uh, to the tune yeah. of 1,000% plus. Now, regulators did uh, crack down on that uh, industry. So the uh, the kind of there's no limit on the interest rates uh, there as well. Uh, I would assume that BNPL is gonna, gonna have similar, uh, similar kind of regulatory uh, oversight uh, soon as well. Uh, do you agree, David? I mean, are, are we seeing the regulators anywhere in the world uh, being active in this space? Certainly in the Middle East, where we have a number of our clients and we have uh, our Dubai office, um, which, which services clients in Saudi Arabia, the UAE, uh, Qatar, Kuwait. Um, the UAE and, and Saudi central banks have been hugely, hugely um, active over the last year um, in a very, very positive way. They've really sort of embraced fintech, but at the same time, um, they, 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 they also want to have that level of comfort that they're not going to cause a problem. And so they're starting to have those discussions already. And I think they're probably one of the more advanced markets, if I'm honest, because um, just the, the, the whole culture around being in debt, um, plus they have a very large transient population there. So there's always a risk that people could leave and skip. And, and, and so um, there's a lot more due diligence around that. Um, they are certainly leading the way, um, but I think you only need to look at the size of the BNPL market as it is today, and it's growing and it's getting more publicity. It's just a matter of, of time before you know, regulators will have to, will have to come down on it. Um, I say come down at it. I, I don't mean that in a negative light. What I mean is they just need to put in some guidance that makes sure it doesn't, you know, um, snowball into a huge issue let me let me put a different spin on this uh for both of you actually right like you said villa we've seen schemes like this in the past and and you mentioned it as well david i mean we've seen organizations come up with new innovative way to dry and drive revenue by very quickly you know interacting with consumers very often it does take advantage of what i would say is lack of understanding in money management or or yeah, people who maybe, you know, live paycheck to paycheck and, and aren't very good at managing their money. One option is, as you're saying, to, to regulate. And I know we need regulations. We need to drive for the, the regulators to control certain uh, products, etc. But another way of looking at this is to say, do we solve the problem better by maybe looking at educating people better in how to make the correct decisions, understanding rather than taking a knee-jerk reaction on, oh, I can quickly get some money to buy this. 
really thinking about what is the outcomes and the consequences of my actions. You know, financial literacy is on the downturn. We've got a huge push towards digital banking, digital channels, which removes that yeah. human element. Is there maybe a, a message here to the wider society to say, don't regulate everything, but also try and look at, at educational systems around money management? What do you guys think? Uh, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree, Paul. I think financial education is something that's lacking everywhere, to be honest. Even, I think, starting from children and school in schools, there should be an element of that. And um, certainly when, when the, the entire digital world is focusing on one-click simplicity mm. and making everything as instantaneous and, and, and frictionless as possible, um, it's hard to then kind of put a, a bit of the brakes on and say, we want this to be frictionless and instant. But before that, watch this video and we're going to tell you about all the dangers associated with it. It's a, it's a difficult to topic. I think, um, I think relying on the banks or anyone who profits from it to do it is, is unrealistic. I think from a regulatory or a government standpoint, that's certainly something that they could invest in or should invest in, because I think it's also the more responsible thing to do. Um, to, to sort of educate um, everybody about how these new fintech models are working, right? And, and what's the basis of them? That would certainly help alleviate uh, the, um, I, I would say, some of the snowball effect. Um, whether it would be the solution to, to everything, I, I, I don't know, but certainly would help, I agree. Couldn't agree more to everything you said, David. I think it's it's a really interesting idea to actually have this as a, as a topic in schools already at, at a certain age, uh, kind of having a basic understanding of, of, of money and how to use it and how to be responsible with your finances is basically just protecting uh, people. Uh, there's so It's so easy to exploit people who don't really uh, understand this. They, they are the ones who are... Uh, paying the uh, extraordinary high interest rates on, on, for example, BNPL installments that they perhaps uh, failed to pay in time. And uh, this, uh, this whole space, of course, uh, I think it's going to be a combination of, uh, of kind of everybody working together, uh, waiting for the regulator to come in and, and save everybody uh, has never really worked out. <laughs> so so it's, uh, it's, uh, they, they do their job, but at the same time, the whole ecosystem needs to kind of understand this problem uh, and make sure that we do the, uh, do the right thing uh, here. Now, let, let me, uh, let me uh, kind of round up the conversation a little bit here and uh, kind of do a question for both you, Paul and David, uh, at the same time. So do we think that by, by now, pay later is good or bad for consumers at large? David. <laughs> um, it's a tough question. Personally, um, I think it's good. And, and I'll tell you the reasons why. Um, I'm the type of person who looks through innovation goggles all the time, right? And um, there's nothing that I like more than simple uh, simplicity, um, instant digital, you know, it, it's, it's, it's my career, right? My career is based on how do you make the digital experience better and more efficient? Um, now, whether the current flavor of BNPL is, is the ultimate version of it, um, I don't think so yet. I think once it's, it's gone through that evolution and that maturity so that it, 
it has addressed some of the discussion points that we've talked about, which is there's a more rigorous risk assessment associated with what you're entitled to have or not entitled to have. Then I think it will be even better, right? But I think um, that, that, that approach not only uh, generates more sales for industry and, and commerce, which in turn creates jobs, generates more revenue, makes the digital ecosystem flourish that much better, that, that ultimately has to be a good thing, right? Um, I also think, you know, that we've been talking about it for probably 10, 12 years now, but traditional banking products are due for a, a, a reboot, right? We can't just keep rebranding re, uh, re or reusing an account, a credit card, and a loan. Um, at some point, the world has moved on and there's more efficient ways of doing things. You need to see how doing things in a slightly different way is going to, to, to help. I think BNPL is, is one of those early movers that's that's doing that. So for me, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, I'd like to see it succeed and, um, and, and more and more of that, more, you know, more, more of that thinking out of the box. So thumbs up from David. What about you, Paul? You know, Villa, that was a loaded question. You know that I'm, <laughs> I'm it's just going to come out now, right? Um, choice always seems to be a good thing. The more choice you have, the better. But with more choice comes complexity, and with complexity comes the ability to make a bad decision that impacts you in one way or another. Do I think buy now, pay later is a good thing? Absolutely. We need innovation. Like David said, we need to drive new innovation and new ways of engaging between financial institutions and, and consumers and the general public. I would like to see the regulators stepping in to help with consumer protection. I think that due to the lack of financial understanding and money management, we need to protect the consumers to a certain level. I also, you, you know that I talk about the uh, data-enabled client, and I think this is a prime example of what I mean by the data-enabled client. I think there's an opportunity here for banks to take advantage of what you were saying earlier, Villa, around AI capabilities, insights of their customers, et cetera, to add an another layer onto the buy now, pay later, where rather than just saying, here are your options, also giving some insights and capabilities around what is the consequences of these options. Even something as simple as saying, you know, you've just agreed to buy something for 500 euros, you can decide to pay for this using buy now, pay later over installments of this amount for this amount of time. But by the way, you do know that you've got these outgoings about to come. You know that your incoming is going to look roughly like this. The consequences of you selecting one of these options could have this outcome. So therefore, please think before you make a decision. And really, you're only talking about an extra, back to what you were saying, David, you know, a video and everything else. It's not really that. It's, it's almost a guided journey where the bank can help the client to make the right decision in the situation that they are in at that time. I would really like to see that because it empowers the consumer to make the right decision, which actually helps the bank in the long term, right? So good, bad, in the middle? <laughs> like I said, it's it's good, but I'd like to see more. I'd like I'd like to see more on top of this to help drive it forwards. Right. Perfect. Uh, and I uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, having information available and uh, and actually, I think that there's 
I mean, there's too much uh, friction. Uh, lack of, there's lack of friction uh, to an extent is is actually bad. I think some friction is required for you to actually take that moment and think what you're doing, uh, and having that information uh, available for the person making the decision in a, in an appealing uh, way way where it's not like a kind of a long terms and condition sheet that nobody reads. Uh, you just kind of go to the end and click OK. Uh, it has to be easy to understand uh, for anybody uh, because you, you are entitled to know what, I, what are you actually getting into uh, when you do these things. And it's not, it's not a new model. Let's be honest. We've all been in that situation where you get told, here is the offer, but you have to make the choice now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We have people knock on the door. People come and say, we're going to give you a new kitchen and here's the cost, but you need to sign on the dotted line now. This offer is not available if we walk away. Yeah, same thing. That's the way scams work, right? They make you uh, the sense of urgency uh, for you. So, uh, David, any final words uh, before we close the show? Um, no, not, not nothing that I, I think we haven't covered um, covered pretty well in this in this discussion. Um, I guess I my parting words or advice would be to to banks who are considering looking in this this space, which is. Um, Overlook the uh, the actual financial um, aspect of what BNPL is doing, and focus much more on the customer and merchant experience. And I think the BNPL part will take care of itself. But if you don't start the journey with the right mindset, which is you're trying to enable somebody to do something easier than they ordinarily wouldn't have done before then you're probably not likely going to be very successful at implementing uh, this. Um, consider, your, consider your competitors don't think that way and they're having success, then that, that's, that's the way to look at it. All right. Thanks, David. And thank you for being a guest. And as we say here on the podcast, time flies when you're having fun. And indeed, I think we had a lot of fun today. Uh, talking Absolutely. About this very interesting topic of BNPL. I'm sure we will actually get back to this topic uh, sooner than we think, perhaps. <laughs> uh, David, uh, Paul and I always like to give our guests a chance to let the listeners know uh, how can they get in touch with you, perhaps get access to the, some of the research that you've been doing uh, and how, how do they kind of connect with you um i'm uh, i'm available on most of the social media channels uh if you want to follow me on twitter or within linkedin uh, my handle is i am david horton um and uh obviously if you want to get in touch with me um sort of directly then my email address is david.horton h-o-r-t-o-n at thinkdigital.com think is spelt with an a y instead of an i um and yeah, or Google me and uh, you'll find my contact information pretty quickly. <laughs> the usual way. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much, David. Now, dear listeners, uh, I know you have been enjoying this episode as much as we have. So that podcast app you're using to listen to, whatever it is, I'm sure there is a subscribe button there. So please hit that subscribe button in order for you to get all the fintech daydreaming goodness in your in your listening uh, list in uh, every two weeks uh, when the seasons are running. Also, uh, a special request: please go on YouTube so you can look at our beautiful faces as we go uh, as we talk talk with our guests in this in this podcast. And also, I, I've heard rumors that YouTube also has a subscribe button that I encourage <laughs> as well. Now, Paul and I will be back in two weeks' time with another guest, so we will see you in two weeks' time. This has been fintech daydreaming.
This is Fintech Daydreaming. <laughs>